LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vernoy, here with Todd Atkins. <laughs> and today we are joined by Scott Harrison, who is the founder and CEO of the nonprofit Charity Water. He is also an author of a few books, including Thirst, A Story of Redemption. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Well, I was just telling you guys, it's snowing right now. <laughs> That's all I was just about to say. I, I'm looking at a window. It's April 21st, and it's just snowed about an inch uh, in the last hour. <laughs> Inclement weather. We're still going to record a podcast, which is awesome. Well, Scott, for those that do not know about Charity Water, I know that you've been uh, doing it for close to 15 years now. Can you kind of yep. just share a little bit about how Charity Water came to be and what you guys have been doing for the past 15 years? Sure. Uh, well, well, first, maybe the mission. So we have a very simple mission, which is to bring every single human being on earth clean water. Uh, and, and we are 785 million people away from uh, mission success, I guess you could say. So, you know, as we have this conversation, about one out of every 10 people on planet earth uh, is drinking dirty, contaminated water. So that's the issue we've been working on for a decade and a half. Uh, a lot of progress has been made. It was actually over a billion people globally when I started, you know, wow. now, now down a couple hundred million. So a lot of progress has been made. Uh, we have a, an interesting business model in that for 15 years, we've, we've always given 100% of all public donations directly to fund these water projects around the world. So uh, I go off with a very small team and I raise the overhead for the organization separately, the staff salaries, the office costs, the flights, the toner for the Epson copy machine, you know, all of that kind of, you know, gunky, uh, nasty overhead costs that so many people uh, would would cite as a reason for not giving is paid for by about a hundred families. So that's allowed us over fifteen years to you know to build a pretty big organization. Uh, we'll raise over a hundred million dollars this year, and, and we've helped twelve point six million humans get clean water uh, across twenty nine countries. And probably what I'm most excited about is uh, we're, we're helping about five thousand new people every day. So, you know, as, as uh, we have this conversation or, you know, as, as our team goes through our day on Zoom meetings, you know, 5,000 new people are going to get clean water for the first time today. Uh, not thanks to me or, or really our team, but thanks to our community of givers now from from over 150 countries. Um I, you know, I started this, I was a club promoter for, for anybody that doesn't know my story. I was, you know, I was a, a good Christian kid growing up as an only child, active in the church, playing piano every Sunday, taking care of my mom, who was, who was really sick growing up. And then I, I lived out my, my cliche rebellion story, uh, becoming a prodigal son at 18 and moving to New York city and doing drugs and smoking and drinking and, uh, you know, exploring maybe the opposite of the, the rules of, of the church or the rules of faith. And I got myself to a point at 28 where uh, I was driving a BMW. I had a Rolex watch. Uh, I was one of the biggest nightclub promoters in New York city. And I hated my life. I was morally bankrupt. I was spiritually bankrupt. Uh, I had come so far from the foundation of faith and morality that my parents had instilled in me. And I realized that, you know, if I died at 28 years old, 
I left no legacy. I mean, you know, I I could not have, you know, the the book written about me would have been the purposeless life. (laughs) Uh, You know, there was, there was nothing to say about my impact on, on the planet. And um, I, I came full, full circle, maybe back home, you know, re-exploring faith as an adult, uh, opting into it on my own volition and really getting passionate about service. And uh, that led me to to start Charity Water 15 years ago uh, with, with this kind of crazy idea of just, could I bring clean water to the world? So let me ask this this question. Um, you know, we all, uh, the, the people that listen to this podcast are pastors and church leaders for the most part. And, and we're all familiar with, um, you know, Jesus and the, and the woman at the well. And, you know, he's talking about living water, but there's a real need, like break down for us. Why water? Like, why is that such a big issue? What happens when well, you I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. As, uh, I mean, I've never done this before. <laughs> um, listen, the, the awesome thing about, let, let me just say the first thing about clean water, um, since I, I know my audience here, is it is one of the very few things everyone can agree on. So whether you are, you know, a right wing Republican, whether you are a progressive Democrat, whether you're an independent or a libertarian, whether you're uh, a person of Christian faith or Muslim faith or Jewish faith or whether faith is anathema to you, every single person that I have encountered over the last 15 years believes humans need clean water. Right. No one has told me to stop. Right, guys, no one is like, oh, no, let the kids die from the swamp water. You know, let the women walk eight hours to a faraway river in Liberia and get raped on that walk. Or no, no, let the women be attacked by hyenas or lions. You know, this is right. Everybody. It's a it's it's a it's a unifying, inarguable common good. So that's allowed us to kind of invite you know, a diverse set of people. Um, who may, who might fight about 99% of, of other things, but could come together and, and believe in that. Uh, if you don't have water, so why water? Uh, if you are in the 10% of the world unlucky enough to be born into a situation where, where you don't have clean water, where your, your source is a pond or a brown viscous swamp uh, or a faraway river, uh, there are massive health implications. So up to, up to half of the disease throughout the developing world is simply because people don't have clean water to drink uh, or access to hygiene and sanitation. So huge health problems. So just imagine kind of giving the world clean water and setting half of the hospital beds, freeing them, right? Just telling half the people, hey, go home. Education, one out of three schools in the world doesn't have clean water or a toilet. So this is a huge reason why it's one of the top reasons why teenage girls drop out of school around the world because they don't go to a school that has no no water or toilet for for a week a month. And, and, and culturally, so many of them need to go get the water anyway. So it has a huge impact on education it has an impact on women. It is the women that are walking these long distances that are fetching water for their family. And yeah, this is wasted time. This is not purpose-driven time. Uh, There was a stat when I started, over 40 billion hours just in Africa were wasted by women fetching water every year. 
So you think about, you know, turning that wasted time into productive time, uh, into entrepreneurial time or uh, allowing women to, to have six hours a day back to start a small business or spend more time with their kids leading their families forward, leading their communities forward in the future. Um, and then, you know, it impacts the local economy. So uh, since I started, an 88-page paper came out of the United Nations that found every dollar invested in water and sanitation made communities four to eight dollars richer. So imagine this four to eight X impact uh, when you just do the most basic thing for life. And, you know, I mean, gosh, if I had more time, I would I would go on and and, and just tell kind of more human stories of, of what it's like to not have water. But it's it's like this onion you just keep pulling it back. And there's another I mean, I ask people this to imagine your life without water. I mean, you brush your teeth this morning. You might have used water for your coffee. Maybe you got ice out of the the, the refrigerator, you know, the automated press button. Um, you know, maybe you took a bath. Maybe you were in a pool or a hot tub or you you watered your garden. I mean, it's just such a part of our lives that so many of us do take it for granted because we've always known it. But for 785 million people, they have never had that experience. They have never had the experience of clean water. So it's just, it's a great kind of, you know, step one, rung one for human flourishing. Yeah. And man, Scott, even as you're just talking about that, you said, just imagine your day with water. And it's like everything that you listed there, it's like, how much water have I already used today? And it is such a need across the globe. And thank you for stepping in and to meet that need. And as you're, as you're leading Charity Water, I'm sure that there has been, you know, over the past 15 years, I'm sure there's been some conflicts or failure along the way that you had to navigate. So as you look back, what is a conflict, conflict or failure that has benefited you in your leadership and how did it maybe set you up for success later down the road? Yeah, uh, you know, I devoted a whole chapter to to this in in, um, in the book I wrote, um, hoping that it might be helpful for for other social entrepreneurs or, or leaders. Uh, it happened in year nine for us, uh, so I almost made it to ten years without burning out. <laughs> and I remember, you know, look, guys, I was going hard in the beginning. We were growing this thing; everything was kind of going right. Almost every action we took moving charity water forward resulted in some sort of success or win. And, you know, we grew the organization. I think it was 2 million, 6 million, 9 million, 16 million, 23 million, 28 million, 35 million, 45 million. And in our eighth year, you know, like, like, okay, well now it's year nine. You know, we're going to do like 55 million. And we shrunk. Not only did we not grow in our ninth year, we shrunk. Less people gave money. It's like we ran out of gas, <laughs> you know, we moved backwards. And I remember hitting this milestone in our eighth year of charity water, where that year we'd given 1 million people clean water. And in year nine, we gave 820,000 people clean water. And, you know, people had been telling me, oh, you're going to burn out. You better slow down. And I remember just kind of laughing at them as I would take 95 flights a year, you know, make 200 speeches a year. Wow. Uh, just, to, just to anybody that would listen. I mean, if, if you invited me, it was just a yes, I would be on a plane. Uh, and then I didn't have kids then. So it was a lot easier to, you know, to do that. And what, you know, what, what eventually happened was my first response was my time is up. 
I have failed the organization as a leader. It's time to start a CEO search, get out of the way and bring on a real leader who can take us to the next level. And I, and I personally felt like I had let down 180,000 people because I hadn't figured out how to, you know, achieve the, the success of the previous year or, or grow. And, you know, I remember starting a CEO search and interviewing recruiters and telling my board and telling my executive team and my exec team told me at the time, they're like, bro, you are burned out. Why don't you just take a month off and, and see where it takes you. And I had some friends out in, uh, in Redding, California, who said, hey, we've got like this house. Uh, it's on Shasta Lake. We can give it to your family for, for a month. Why don't you just come and, and, and take a month off? And I went out there and, you know, guys, this was supposed to be a time of like prayer and reflection and reading the Bible and like, you know, and, and it was supposed to be a beautiful place. Well, the house was so high up on this hill overlooking Shasta Lake that it had its own weather system and it basically hailed and snowed the entire month. <laughs> oh my goodness. The house leaked. So this is like a gorgeous kind of mansion that somebody had given us. And I'm running around with buckets and saucepans trying to catch the leaks. Day four or five there, my wife finds out, you know, she's pregnant with her second, with our second kid. So, you know, that just kind of honestly put her in a grumpy mood for a while because we weren't really planning on that. And it was like, everything went wrong, but I used that month to think, to pray, to reflect and came back really with a, a vision of a, a new idea, a new big idea. And that turned out to be uh, creating this giving product or this giving program at Charity Water called The Spring in our 10th year, which took the organization from $35 million a year to $100 million a year in only a couple of years. And it was, you know, this, this is not a, like rocket science in a way. It's like the Spotify model or, you know, maybe the Compassion International or World Vision model. But we had never asked people to show up for Charity Water every single month. It was always one and done. It was give once or donate one birthday. And I kind of came back really excited about building a dynamic, innovative, inspiring, imaginative monthly giving community that would be global. And, and that was year 10. I said, you know, even if I do hire a CEO, I want to change the trajectory, right? I don't want to give, I don't want to hand the organization off to the next leader you know, on the way down, I want to at least, you know, start arcing back up and say, here you go. And I just had so much fun in year 10, working with the team, building this new community that we then saw 40% growth the next year, 40% growth the next year and 30% growth the next year. So that time away, I know you said <laughs> for a little bit, uh, you know, you get to this, this great home and then all of a sudden it kind of feels like everything that was supposed to be peaceful and relaxing is kind of unraveling. Yeah. It was literally leaking. It was <laughs> yeah. a leaking home. Yeah. So you go like your expectations were so different, but how do you feel like even just getting away? And even if it wasn't picture perfect, because I think sometimes people, you know, they, they, people who are burnt out, they get the advice, Hey, just take some time away. And they almost have this idealistic version of what that's going to look like. But even in the midst of it, not being exactly what you thought it was going to be, how did it still provide for that clarity that came to say, Hey, we, here's this new idea. How did that yeah. come about? I think it was a couple of things. I mean, I, I'm, I'm actually a really, I, it's almost cliche advice, but it, 
it really is good advice to try to step out of whatever day to day, you know, we're all in for an extended period of time and, and just reflect or think differently. So a couple things happened. Number one, I looked back on year nine, the $35 million year. And actually by almost every metric except fundraising, it was the year I would have been most proud of, of the nine. Hmm. We just had two get, we, had, we basically, what happened was one guy who had given $3 million the year before the stock that he gave every year tanked and he gave nothing. And another corporate sponsor we had who had given 5 million the year before their stock tanked and they gave nothing. And both of these donors were like, Oh, it's not you. Oh, we love charity water. It's just, it's us. It's our financial situation. They both came back in subsequent years to give millions and millions. So what I kind of, you know, it was, it was almost time to like step out of it, you know, to step up to 30,000 square feet or so and say, maybe I have the story wrong, you know, the narrative wrong here. And maybe instead of, you know, having my tail between my legs, like, you know, not all things go up into the right forever, right? Like there are S curves, like Elon Musk is like, you know, landed some of his friggin' ships in the ocean and <laughs> others on platforms, right? <laughs> I mean, not every NASA experiment, you know, over the last 50 years has, you know, has ended where they drop the mic and say, look how smart and clever we are. Right. So there is this kind of trial and error. So I think it was when you're in the day to day, often, I think it's easy as leaders. We're just hard on ourselves. You know, we're bearing the weight of the organization on our back and the weight of the culture and, you know, any HR issues we have or, you know, we're keeping money, to make, whatever it is. So it was just the separation that was helpful. And, and, and then kind of, you know, and, and I think it could have gone the other way guys. I mean, I could have said, Oh my gosh, I'm so glad to be away from charity water. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm never thank going back. <laughs> God, like let's, I, you know, somebody else's problem. <laughs> um, but I was so excited about solving the problems with a, with, with a different perspective or coming back as a, as a, with an upgrade, you know, Graham cook is a, is, is a, is someone I've, I've spent a little time with. And he kind of talks about, you know, this upgrade, like what is God trying to teach you about this season? Um, what is that next thing that you need as a leader? You know, almost like you imagine like putting a chip in, you know, it's like, okay, taking this cartridge out, this worked for eight years. Now we need this new software upgrade, this new outlook, this new perspective to get to the next level. And then you're going to have to pull that out at some point and put in the next one. So it was, it was, I, I continue to give that advice. And I don't, you know, I think it matters that you actually take yourself out. The other thing that happened guys, is like the business was fine for a month. So I wasn't that important. So all worries we have about, you know, Oh, we're in all these meetings and everybody needs me to make these decisions or to weigh in. It's like, no, everybody's fine. They didn't need me in any of those meetings. They made decisions perfectly fine for a month. And, you know, you came back to, to, in some ways, a more empowered organization. And then you say, well, I'm not going to join that meeting again. You guys right. just go ahead with that. Y'all go ahead with that. Like you're doing great. Well, one of the things that um, just strikes me is, you know, I'm, I'm uh, good friends with some of the leaders at Compassion and, and VON. And I've had conversations with both of them about how um, innovative the model that you guys actually started out with, where you're raising money 
outside to cover the administrative costs so that you can say to the individual, all your money goes forward. Yet at the same time, you're, you know, as part of the story you just told, it was, wow, I'm looking at uh, compassion as an example and saying, man, I, I need to, you know, shift to that. So I think that's a beautiful thing that, you know, influence and ideas um, are going to, are, are going to, I don't know, they're going to uh, go into places that you never thought that they would, they would come from. And so one of the questions I have is, is who or what has been um, some of the greatest influences in your leadership of Charity Water? So there was a guy early on uh, that I met. So if you go back, I, I kind of mentioned, you know, chapter one, good Christian kid growing up in church, playing piano in Sunday school. Chapter two, running around New York City as a nightclub promoter for, for 10 years, making a mess of my life. Chapter three, right before starting Charity Water, there was this two-year stint on a hospital ship in Liberia, West Africa, with a humanitarian group called Mercy Ships. And I'd signed up for a year. And in, in my uh, paradigm at the time, the year was going to be a tithe of time for the 10 years I'd selfishly wasted. So it was like, okay, God, I'll give you one of the 10 years and we'll see where this goes. And when I got to Liberia and this, this, and, and some people I'm sure have heard of Mercy Ships, uh, there was a guy on the ship. His name was Dr. Gary Parker. And in some ways he was not, unlike me in that he had heard of this opportunity and he'd actually signed up for a shorter term of duty, which was three months. But when I walked up the gangway of this 522 foot ship with 300 volunteer crew, he had been there 21 years. Mm. So his three months turned it into 21 years. And he just never went back to his plastic surgery practice in California. He fell so in love with the, the life of service, not a small tour of duty, not three months of service or a year of service, but a lifetime of service. And I tried to spend as much time with that man as I could. I mean, I would scrub up and I would spend eight or nine hours in the operating theater, just sitting in the back, watching him. And, you know, when he had time to tell me stories, listening to those stories, uh, and I think that's the, you, you know, the, the, the thing that I'm most interested in at the moment hitting 15 years is just this idea of, you know, the long obedience in the same direction or, or showing up uh, for a long time and allowing amazing things to happen. I saw an extraordinary stock chart uh, recently, and it was of Amazon's stock price over 27 years. And for the first 20 years, Amazon stock does nothing. You had 20 years to buy the stock to say, oh, this might be something, you know, maybe this guy, Jeff Bezos, like selling books and oh, he sold me a toaster, you know, oh, <laughs> uh, he's trying to get into like, you know, film or TV. It did nothing for 20 years. And then 90% of the value was realized in the last seven years and then it spiked. So had he quit in year 20, and by the way, this is no comment on, on Amazon or, or ethics as a company. I'm just purely talking about uh, shareholder value or, or market cap. Had he quit 
the thing that he was building after 20 years, he would have left 93% of the impact on the table. He would have walked away from 93% of the value, which happened only in the last few years. So I hope you know, that there's, that, 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 that is, I think that's what Gary Park, Dr. Gary Parker found. He's been there now over 30 some years, 35 or 36 years. I'm 15 years in. And, you know, it's this belief that the best is yet to come, that the more you operate with integrity and passion and commitment, the more good things happen to you. Somebody called the office guys last, last week, they called like, we don't even have an 800 number. They like went on the website and they called the New York city office number. And they said, hi, can we have your wiring instructions? And somebody gave it to them. And then the next morning they wired a million dollars. We've never met this couple. We have no idea who they are. They just wired a million dollars. So that, I mean, that was like my budget guys, like at the beginning, you know, I mean, that was like six months. Um, like, we need to share our phone number more. <laughs> so, but, but, you know, over 15 years, we have a track record. We have raised $500 million. We've, hmm. we've funded 60,000 projects across 29 countries. Like I would give us a million dollars. In fact, I actually, if you, in, if you include the book advance just last year, my wife and I crossed a million dollars in personal giving to charity water over a 15 year period. So I'm a million dollar donor. Like I would do it too. I wouldn't have done it nine years ago <laughs> when we were just trying to figure it out. Um, so I just, I think that that commitment to the cause and not being a dilettante, not quitting. If you need to take a year off, I may need to take six months off or a year off at some point to, you know, to come back with passion and energy and animation and new ideas. But I don't know. I just think, you know, if, if I can, my, my dream, we've helped 12 million people. I would like to personally oversee a hundred million people getting clean water before I die. So that keeps me going. So I'm only at 12% of that goal. So there's a lot of work ahead. There's 80, uh, 88% of just that simple goal of hundred million people has still yet to be realized. Jesus's final charge to his disciples was to go and make disciples of all nations. And yet, many Christians today struggle to understand what this means for them. And many churches find it difficult to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For the past 15 years, our friends at Downline Ministries have partnered with local churches by equipping men and women to know God's word and make disciples in the context of their homes, their churches, and their communities. They do this through the Downline Institute, a nine-month training program where students are taught Genesis through Revelation, biblical manhood and womanhood, and practical discipleship training. If you long for a greater knowledge of God's Word, a clear vision for making disciples, and the strengthening of biblical discipleship in your church, check out the Downline Institute's in-person and virtual training options. Downline is offering our listeners $100 off of the tuition cost. Just use the code LIFEWAY when you apply at downlineministries.com. You know, at the beginning, you were talking about before Charity Water, you said, you know, if somebody were to write a book of my life, it would, it really would be emptier. There really wouldn't be much to tell. But even just hearing you talk about what has been accomplished now through Charity Water and, and through your leadership, you know, of that long obedience in the same direction, that book is starting to fill up. 
<laughs> so what, what do you want your leadership legacy to be for people to remember you? It's less about, you know, when you ask the question that way, it goes, my, my brain goes much more to values and how we did things rather than what we did. So I think it's more in the way that we tried to help a hundred million people. Uh, it's the way we handled money. It's the way we treated people. Uh, it's the way we saw our beneficiaries or, or celebrated our you know, thousand plus local partners around the world. You know, I go much more to process or integrity or, you know, or values than outputs. Cause I think you could help a hundred million people and be kind of corrupt to do it, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> and not sleep at night having achieved the outcome. So, you know, I, I, I guess I would hope that it would somehow be in the soft stuff, uh, the way that we inspired other people, you know, and, and, and the hundred percent model is, is controversial in a way. I don't, I don't tell other people that they should give away hundred percent of donations. And it's been incredibly difficult to maintain that over 15 years. It was, it was right for us. It was right for the problem we were trying to solve and the vision, but we have literally never used one single penny of the public's money for overhead. And there was a moment where we almost went bankrupt and we were calling lawyers to dissolve the organization but yet we had a million dollars in the wrong bank account, guys. Like we had a million dollars <laughs> in the bank account that was going straight to build water projects. And we were about to miss payroll in the overhead bank account. And I'm like, well, let's just shut the organization down. I mean, we're, we'll send the million to the field. We'll build as many water projects as possible and call business model failure. But we're never going to borrow against that. We're not going to, you know, move it from the one account to the other. And you know, I read about this in the book. I mean, I think sometimes if you stay true to your values, amazing things happen. After we made that decision, a complete stranger walked into the office and gave a million dollars for overhead. Hmm. Someone I'd never met just walked in and basically gave a million bucks. And that was it. He wired it the next morning. And we went from, you know, talking to lawyers and this is, you know, now this is 13 years ago, but we went to talking to lawyers about dissolving the company based on a, a decision of absolute integrity, like we will never betray our word to then go, well, okay. We have like, we live to fight another day. Mm. You know, there's, there's those moments where, I mean, you have a whole company looking at you saying, are we going to meet payroll? You know, I'm looking for my paycheck. And then you have the ability, you have the opportunity to say, I'm going to stand firm on my integrity and values or we're going to kind of cheat a little bit here. So what, what, what suggestions would you give to make sure that you are someone who is leading with your values and not, like you said, you could, you could do the same things that you're doing, but in a totally different way. So what, what, what do you, what would you say kept you grounded throughout all of that? I mean, I'm a very black and white thinker when it comes to, to values. So you know, I don't like gray anywhere around honesty. I mean, I just think, you know, you find the highest road possible and you take that. And uh, gosh, whether that comes to, you know, to giving or, you know, to the clothes that I wear, I, you know, I, I could kind of think of 50 examples 
Um, that's just how I am. You know, in, integrity is the number one most valued value for me. Mm-hmm. Like if my, you know, if my kids just learn one thing, it's to be like a, a fully integrated person. And, you know, and, and when you have integrity or when you, you know, you do what you say or, you know, whatever, there, there's so many different ways to talk about that. You can sleep well at night. You can sleep well, you know, with a year that you helped 180,000 people less get, get 180,000 people less get clean water, but you didn't cut any corners, right? You, you brought your whole self to work. You were honest. You didn't lie. You didn't cut any corners to achieve your goals. So I find sometimes like these bright lines or these guardrails, you know, holding yourself to this kind of radical, hard, uh, you know, black and white place has helped me. And then the decisions are actually really easy. Mm. You know, it's really easy. I mean, we, you know, one thing most people don't know, because we don't talk about this a lot is, I'll just give you one example of what this meant for me. So Charity Water says that 100% of your money goes straight to projects and we send it straight to the field. Okay, well, what if you go and give $100 online right now on our website using your American Express card? Unfortunately, we do not get $100. American Express takes 3%. They take $3. So I felt 15 years ago for there to be true integrity in our brand or organizational promise, I would need to also pay back that $3. And that sounded like a really good idea, guys, 15 years ago when you're doing no business. (laughs) Now it costs me an extraordinary amount of money. Right. I'll have to raise about $600,000 this year from overhead donors just to pay for your Amex, Visa, and MasterCard so that I can say with total integrity, you're intended hundred percent went to the field. Now you might argue like you guys wouldn't expect that of us, right? If you went and gave a hundred bucks and visa took two and a half percent, like, okay, just send the 9750 to the field. That's hundred percent of what you got, but taking it to that, to that next level is just, it's easier in a way. It's really easier. And by the way, do you, do you think I've ever had a hard time raising the 600 grand for credit card fees? No. I think one of the important leadership lessons to pull out of here too, and and it's not as it's not obvious. So I'm going to make it obvious. And that is um, when you have clarity in your mission, vision and values, you can go somewhere for a month because your organization will make good decisions in your absence. If you don't feel as a leader, like you can leave for a month or take a sabbatical or whatever it is, then you need to, you need to ask yourself why that really is. Are you so indispensable? Um, Or is it just that you haven't been really clear on your vision and your values and your mission? And it comes back to Scott, you being able to tell stories like that, everybody in your organization knows that story. So when they come to a decision point that is about integrity or about values or about fill in the blank, they will make the right decision. There's not a need for 15 policies and checks and balances in the organization when you have that. And so I I just wanna draw that out 
um, from this conversation that as you've done the math through this conversation, you may not have seen this, but guys, it is super important um, to, to your leadership to have clarity in these things. Okay, so uh, I think we want to we want to value our time for your time. Yeah, this is probably longer than you guys were expecting. I'm sorry, I I do not. No, give very this is short great. Answers. No, this is great. We keep asking follow up questions too. We've asked more than five questions at this point. Um, but what's the what is the best piece of leadership advice you've ever been given? Well, I can say this shortly, and it's it's just a a more succinct way of of saying what I was trying to say earlier. Uh, how you do something is way more important than what you actually do. See, that's the shortest answer I gave. <laughs> yeah, so profound. So good. Well, Scott, we could literally have a conversation for another 30 minutes to an hour and just continue asking questions. Really enjoyed our conversation today. So thank you for joining us on the podcast and just sharing about your story of Charity Water and kind of your leadership journey throughout it. And thank you for listening. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. If it has, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review so other leaders like yourself can find the podcast. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Thank you.